0: Welcome back to the fourth episode of the Last Word on Senators podcast. I am your host, Alex Metzger, and today I have a great interview with Dom L. from The Athletic. I'll wait to uh, pronounce his last name for just a few minutes here uh, so you can see how, uh, how much I botch it. Um... Huge thanks to him for coming on, and I want to thank everyone for listening and for the continued support of the podcast. If there's anyone else you want to hear in the future, please just let me know. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends, and you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Uh, so, without further ado, I hope everyone enjoys this episode. Joining me now, uh, as mentioned before, he's a writer for the Athletic NHL. Uh, Thanks for joining me here, Dom. Uh, I'm going to try not to butcher your last name, but you said you're going to correct it for me once I do it. Uh, joining me now is Dom Lushishin.
1: That was... It wasn't bad. It wasn't okay, bad. Okay,
0: okay. How, how... But still wrong. Okay, how far off was I? It's Dom Luci Lushishin. Shep. Shep. Lushishin.
1: Shep.
0: Shep. It's like a movie
1: scene where, like, I'm saying something that I know is different, and in your mind you're like, I'm saying
0: that. Yeah, I got it, but I don't have it. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, um, I've uh, I followed your work for a while. I think most people who are listening probably know who you are. Um, it's, it's awesome reading you. You're one of the b- best writers, I think, out there, in my opinion. Um, and I'm not just saying that because you were nice enough to join me on the podcast today. I genuinely enjoy all your work. Um, that's, that's high praise. Uh, um, today I, I wrote down some stuff we could talk about, and then I honestly went on to the Athletic and realized you've uh, wrote about a lot of it over the past couple months. But that's okay. I figured uh, we can focus on the Senator stuff because uh, you do a lot of stuff around the league, and uh, I know you're you're based out of Toronto, correct? But you do a lot of stuff for every team, really. Like you, I think you're found on uh, pretty much every page.
1: Yeah, I. My role is national writer and to be honest, I try to not write about the Leafs because people like Leafs fans will yell at me and then other fans will also yell at me. So I just I just prefer not to and I know we've had like Our Toronto content is fine without me generally, but um, We'll see how things go in the upcoming year. Maybe I'll dabble a bit more because I think the Leafs will be pretty good this year, especially if they play in all Canada division where I don't think any other team is that good.
0: Yeah. I was going to say that is definitely a topic we're going to get to for sure, because uh, obviously Otto is going to be in that same division and they're for sure going to be part of that division, not being very good, although they would have been in the Atlantic anyways, but um, I wanted to just kind of get your thoughts first on the senators off season as a whole. Um, was there anything you liked, disliked, you know, they made their two, obviously, apart from the draft with uh, Stutzel and Sanderson, their two big acquisitions were Matt Murray, who they signed to a three-year deal, and then Evgeny Dadanov, who they also signed to a three-year deal. Um, what were your thoughts on the offseason as a whole for Ottawa and you know, maybe on those two big signings as well?
1: I don't want to be like mean because I, I have a contentious relationship with center
0: fans from past it, 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 years. It's quite okay. You can be as negative as you want on here because I've uh, I've let them have it a couple times as well. So
1: <laughs> it's just it's a fine line because I I think fans have the right to be optimistic and Ottawa's obviously spent a lot of money this off season to make some improvements. I wrote earlier in the off season how each team fared, how much better or worse their team is, and how much money they spent to do it. And I think Ottawa spent the most to do the least, which is never a great thing uh i like Dadanov a lot i think he's the best player they acquired i think he can be a legitimate top six guy and if he meshes well on the top line he can be a first line talent and the team really only has kachuk as a top line up forward um and then i don't really like anything else matt murray goalies are weird so he can be a good goalie. We've seen that in the past. We, he has the pedigree. It's just the last two years have been so bad that I don't think he had any business signing the contract he did. And that's the major issue for me. Like the trade was fine. It's a goalie trade. He has pedigree. I understand it. Ottawa really needed one. I just, I don't understand the financial commitment. Um, I guess we'll see how it plays out. And then the biggest issue for me is some of the players they got bring negative value, and that takes away what, from what Dadanov brings and what from Matt Murray brings, and that's mainly Eric Goodbranson, who's probably one of the lesser defensemen in the league, especially in terms of driving play at 5-5, five and, five. and Josh Brown. I think his underlying numbers were okay, but he was so heavily sheltered that I'm not a big fan of him either. And then Austin Watson, I think, is a negative value player as well. And those three guys really just bring the offseason acquisitions down a bit.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think the one thing that always worries me when I'm talking about this offseason anyways is if the team's goal was to get legitimately better this year where they take a, a, a big step forward, I don't think they got anywhere near close enough to doing that with the money that they spent. And, uh, again, part of that is guys like Good Branson and – watson i think I, I still don't understand the austin watson pickup i think they gave a fourth up for him and like he's got three more years at 1.5 and he's not even in a, i don't even think he's an nhl player now like maybe that's a little harsh but i think he's at best like a 13th for today let alone in two years and like the good branson one again i wouldn't have given an asset up for him if you want to say you're rebuilding for one more year and he brings I don't know, character or whatever like sure i could get over it if that was the only move that they brought but like from a purely on ice standpoint, I do kind of worry about like, yeah, if, if they really think that they're trying to make themselves much better for now and going forward, I I'm a little scared of what this off season brought. I, I love the dad enough signing. I can't, honestly, I can't believe he signed for three years and only 5 million per like that seemed like just the prime candidate to get overpaid by like three years and 2 million or whatever, like that deep into his thirties. But that contract I liked and you touched on the Murray one and, yeah, like, I don't know, I thought it was rich for um, what he's shown the past two years, like, I don't know, I, I get you, you pay for the cups or whatever, I don't think that's right, but that's how it works in the NHL, but like, man, f- four years is a lot at that price tag, and they didn't want to walk him to free agency, but at the same time, like, if he sucks for the next two years, I would have rather just see him walk than, you know, have him at six, its a four-year deal, and I think it was at 6.25, so like, Yeah, they might not need that cap space for a little bit, but in three or four years, like um, Sanderson and Stutzel and Batherson, and even Kachak is up next year. Like, they're going to need the cap space sooner than later, and that's assuming that they're going to spend anything close to the cap ceiling, which with Eugene Melnick, you never know, right?
1: Yeah, the fact he got more than Jacob Markstrom, I think, is the most telling because he's not that caliber of goalie anymore. Uh, Yeah, with good Branson, Anaheim should have paid Ottawa to take him, you yeah. and that's, like, Ottawa has cap space, they can weaponize it, that would have been a good target, and they paid for services, which I think is a bit backwards. I think the one admirable thing is, when you think of good Branson and Watson, they are tougher players, and this is a young team, and you don't want a young team getting pushed around and bullied, so I get it from that perspective, I just think they're maybe have been other avenues where you also don't want a young team losing a lot and those guys don't really help you win.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like if there's one thing Kachuk and Shabbat have seen for the past two or three years, it's losing a lot. Like I I haven't seen the record, but I have to assume they're either last or second last over the last three years in terms of uh, just losses accumulated over that time because um, they haven't done much winning lately. And that's the kind of thing, too, where with the Good Branson trade, I, I would have been perfectly happy with it, honestly, if it was um, even like a fourth in Good Branson to Ottawa for just a future considerations or whatever it is, right? Like, that, that's the kind of deal I, I would have been quite okay with because, yeah, you're getting an asset for one year of a guy who's way overpaid. He's not very good, but it's probably not going to matter in the grand scheme of things this year but to go get him and then other guys and still pay for all the other guys too. I just, I don't understand it. And like, on top of that too, is I've talked about this a lot on my podcast. It's, it blows my mind, but I don't think Eric Branstrom is going to start the year in the NHL. And that just shouldn't happen. You know, he torched the AHL last year and there's, there's really no reason not to show what he's got, but they have just such a glut of defensemen on one way deals right now that with the good Branson and Brown additions, I really don't know if he fits in the lineup anywhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I was talking to Haley today uh-huh. about the lineup and she did not have Eric Branson in the lineup. And I'm like, Hey, this guy was supposed to be unreal. They traded Mark stone to get him. And I remember when this happened and I said, that's it for Mark stone and the prospect people were like, no, he's amazing. And the fact he's, Like, I'm sure he had a great HL season. I don't generally care about prospects until they actually play in the NHL. I'm sure he's good, but we're talking about Mark Stone here. I would have liked more coming from that. Um, But yeah, she said that ideally the organization doesn't want to rush him and they want to let him develop. And even if he's good, like, they want him to, like, earn the spot and have people he has to beat for it Then rather than just gift wrap the spot to him.
0: Yeah. Which like is fair in a way. Like, and I mean, like that's kind of the common thought I think around sends uh, Twitter as well. It's just, that's what's happening. And I go back and forth on the earning thing. Cause obviously you don't want to just hand a rookie a spot and be like, Oh yeah, it's yours for sure. Cause we've seen times where that doesn't go well, but handing them a spot doesn't mean they have a spot all year either. Right? Like if he plays 15, 20 games and is just atrocious yeah. He doesn't have to stay on the roster, but yeah, at the same time, it's just like, I, I get the development thing. Um, I watched him a little bit when he went down the AHL last year, he had 23 points in 27 games and everyone's like, wow, he's got to work on his defensive game. But his defensive game was actually what was not all that bad. In my opinion, in the NHL, he didn't look amazing, but as uh, I believe he was 2019 or 20 years, 20 years old at the NHL and he was stapled to Ron Hainsey all of last year for his minutes. And That's a tough enough job as it is, but he looked okay. And it's just one of those things where it's like, this is kind of the year where I think Ottawa should be seeing what they have in some of their young guys, because if you don't have anything now, I don't know what's there to suggest that you're gonna have someone in two to three years in Eric Branchdom, you know? And it's never gonna be enough for Mark Stone. Um, I mean, I know I know you like Mark Stone. I love Mark Stone. I think he's a top five winger in the league. So like pretty much anything you get back for that, you're probably not gonna be enough, but even just the, the fact that he still, they don't see him as a full time NHLer definitely worries me a little right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is concerning considering he was the big piece. Um, hopefully it works out, but it's not ideal when you have Mike Riley and Christian Wallinen passing him on the depth chart.
0: Yeah, exactly. And just, like, he's buried behind guys like Eric Goodbranson and even Josh Brown, who – I don't know. I thought it was an okay pickup, but as you said, he was in super sheltered minutes. So that takes away the third defensive slot right there, third pairing, you know, slot right there. So, um, yeah, other than that, like, on the – I was looking at the – what would you say would be the worst and best pickup for the offseason? I'm assuming we kind of already touched on the best with Evgeny Dadanov. Out of the deals that they made, what do you think was the worst one?
1: It's it's tough. Um, I want to say in terms of pure value that Matt Murray is not a great person. Well, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sure he's <laughs> maybe not the best player to spend six and a half million dollars on, but I'm still gonna have to go with good Branson just for the fact that. I think he, he was straight for a fourth, right?
0: Uh, fifth, I believe. It was Watson who was straight for a fourth.
1: Yeah. Ugh. Yeah.
0: Like, it, it's, it's ugly.
1: i <laughs> oh I think, Paul Stastny, Nate Schmidt, Ryan Murray for that price during this offseason. I'm sure that price could get you a Tyler Johnson from Tampa Bay. And Ottawa used it on Watson and, and I don't. I don't know about that.
0: It, it's ugly. That's for sure. I I would say the worst is probably Austin Watson. I I just I can't wrap my head around that at all. Unless he's like literally the thirteenth forward for the next three years, but you don't need to. You shouldn't be giving up an asset for that. Like you can find. Sorry, go ahead. then that much money too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like one point five for three months. Like you can just pluck some guy out of the AHL to sit on your bench for, you know, eighty-two games in a year, or whatever. So that that is my worst. I definitely think the. The Murray one has the potential to be the worst value. But at the same time, I think of the th- three that we're talking about, it's the only one where I see potential for any kind of positive value or even equal value. Like, I don't see a situation where Watson and Gabranson provide a positive on-ice value, whereas I still think there's, it's an outside chance, but there's a chance Murray could. Yeah, yeah definitely. So um, do you think this team, you know, the roster will be better or worse this year overall? Um, What were they on pace for last year? It was not a lot. <laughs> they were 30. I, they, I think they finished 29th because of a late surge from San Jose. No, maybe it was 30th. Let me check. Hold on. I think they
1: finished uh, 30th, but like, were they on pace for like 70-ish
0: points or was it under that? I think it might have been slightly under. Uh, they had 62 points in 71 games. So right around 70, I would assume, right? 62 uh, and 71? Yeah, so 71.6 points. Okay.
1: Um, If the Senators played a full 82-game season this year, I would expect them to only be very slightly higher than that and not by much. I still think this is one of the worst teams in the league. They're probably right there with Detroit, who did a lot of addition by subtraction, where they should not be anywhere near as bad as last year and obviously the california teams are bad chicago's bad but i think ottawa and detroit are still below those guys
0: yeah i uh unfortunately have to agree with you there um i think it would be nice to see them take a step up but the only realistic scenario where that happens is if like three or four of their young guys really take a step forward this year i think and it's not like that's the most impossible thing I've ever heard, but it's also fans I don't think should be actively assuming that's going to happen because that's how you get your hopes let down, too, right? But they do have a bunch of young guys who are going to come in, you know, Logan Brown, um, Drake Batherson, another year of Brady Kachuk, you know, and maybe um, Stutzel as well if he, you know, sees some time in the NHL this year. I don't know what his contract's like with the um, overseas, but. You know, there's, there's a bunch of guys who can make an impact. It just depends on how much. And it can be hard to predict, but I, I definitely don't see them being – like, if, when they, if they finish bottom five this year, I don't think I'll be all that surprised. I'll be slightly disappointed just with the potential they had. But after seeing the roster coming into the year, I think it's hard to argue that it's not a bottom five roster in the NHL. Yeah. It's
1: definitely below there. Um, I think the fact they have so many young players that are hard to predict – means they have a much higher range. But even at the absolute ceiling of that range, I, I mean, they're not probably not making the playoffs. It'll be very, very unlikely. Um, but it is going to be a shortened season that adds a lot of volatility to things. So maybe they surprise, but I think in general, they could probably use another top five
0: pick anyway. Yeah, I, they definitely need um they definitely need just another especially up front it feels like they need an elite game breaking talent and maybe stutz will be that but even with him there it feels like they could still use one more piece you know like you look at the great teams around the league and a lot of them have three guys up front you know like i mean tampa's got take your pick of how many elite players you want to say they have front like Toronto's got their big three big four I guess you can call it Um, you know just all the Boston's got their big three so I feel like Ottawa just they definitely need that extra piece and I know like I I don't I'm not a huge prospects guy it seemed like there was a bunch of really good forwards they could have took this year and this upcoming draft is apparently really defensive heavy heavy and that's where the the Sanderson pick I don't know like I I don't want to beat around it too much because I know people Sens fans especially are just sick of hearing it but like it feels like it would have been the perfect opportunity to take two big swings on forwards in the top five this year, yeah. probably finish in the bottom five next year and, and get one of those defensemen that are coming up as well. But
1: Yeah, it feels like – I don't know if it's like a need pick necessarily, but it feels like they have two top five picks. They're like, okay, let's take a forward and a defenseman rather than taking specifically the best player available. And especially that high in the draft, there are – it's a lot safer to take a forward than it is a defenseman where there's a lot of guys taking in the top five that just don't end up near as good as the forwards around them like i mean noah hannafin or mitch marner that was a legitimate draft decision the Leafs are wrestling with and that seems like the easy choice was the forward um you think about Ross dahlin was supposed to be the next big thing and the guy taking that after him special is doing a lot better now um even Aaron Eckblad for us overall, he was great last year, but it's taken a while for him to actually get there. And was that the dry cycle draft?
0: Um, I don't know. Uh, was what 23rd was Eckblad 2013. Is that all the way back there? Uh, I think it might've been. Let me check. 2013 NHL entry draft. Oh no, that was McKinnon's draft. Which one was Eckblad? 2012. This is riveting content. 2014. Jeez. I thought, I thought he was older in that. But, yes, that was the Dreisaitl went fourth. Uh, no, sorry. Dreisaitl went third. Sam Reinhardt went second. Yeah. And, I mean, you could even make an argument for Reinhardt's – maybe yeah. not after last year, but it's close enough, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And it's just like – it's. I think part of that is we are – or not we, but like the NHL in general, it's, it's a lot easier to identify skilled forwards than it is skilled mm-hmm. defensemen. And that happens kind of in the NHL as well because, I mean, good defense is just the lack of stuff happening. So, you know, how do you identify who does that well and, and when exactly it's happening, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why I think at the top of the draft you should be leaning on the fact that it's much easier to – locate the top forward talent than it is the top defensive talent.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I think NHL teams have gotten a little better over the past couple of years identifying defensive talent. Um, still, it's not perfect and nothing in the draft is, but you know, there's, there's, it feels like there's less misses than even like in 2012, you know, with the Cody CCs and, or, you know, Zach Bogosian's in the top five, whenever that pick was, you know, it feels like there's a, at least less of that, but it definitely is still, uh, you see forwards hit, it feels like, more often at the top of the draft than the defensemen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, here's the other thing that – so you mentioned, you know, especially in the Canadian division, and the shortened season, that definitely could throw things off uh, into play because you could see just how volatile – if they play 42 or 48 games or whatever, like if you get in on a stretch for 10 games, that could make or break your season either way, right? But if we were saying that they're playing a full season, a Canadian division versus the Atlantic, does Ottawa's uh, odds of – Or even just, like, does their placement change at all? Or do you think they would still just be 30th no matter what? Or 31st?
1: So I think Haley wrote something about this, or she is writing something about this. I'm not 100% sure, but she asked me the same question. She's like, is Ottawa, like, does being in the all Canada division help? And the answer is technically yes. And Mm -hmm. if you want to get strictly in the math, I ran a simulation based on an A2 game season and then ran another one based on some of the divisions that we might be seeing and whether the team's playing like their own division. And Ottawa's chances doubled, which sounds great until you realize that they went from 1% to 2%. <laughs> so it'll still be a, a long shot. Um, I think those odds might change once an actual schedule comes out, but it'll be tough because, yes, the division isn't strong, but it's not weak either. I think the Leafs are in a league of their own above the rest of the other Canadian teams, but from Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Montreal, Winnipeg, those are all teams that would have had legitimate playoff aspirations, and that puts Ottawa in a league of their own at the bottom of that, where they'll probably be – the canadian punching bag
0: yeah for sure it's one of those things where you trade off boston and tampa but you also get rid of you know the detroits where it's like last year i think ottawa took it was like six points out of a possible eight from detroit which you know wasn't great for their tanking hopes but you know that's just how detroit was and even buffalo like i think buffalo's definitely improved this year but how much who knows But yeah, the Canadian division, and we can get into this just as a whole, because there's not obviously a ton to talk about audible wise lately, but it's one of those things where everyone keeps going and in a 48 game season, it's true enough, but everyone goes, well, yeah, this one's going to be close. Like it's a, it's a crapshoot from one to six and I really don't think it is like, I know Sens fans aren't going to want to hear that Toronto are the favorites in the division, but I just don't see, especially with their upgraded blue line, any team that is close to as well-rounded as Toronto is coming into this year, you know, like, A lot of people still pick, you know, a team like Winnipeg. But I I said the other day, I was like, if you still think Winnipeg and Toronto are mere matches of each other, I just don't think you've checked player development over the past two years because, like, a lot of Winnipeg's guys have just not performed all that well, at least underlying numbers lately.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm probably a lot higher on Toronto than other people, but you still see, like, Pierre LeBron scoured some sources and said rank the Canadian division and – almost all of them said, Oh, it's so close. But then nine of 15 tick the leaps to win it. And that's pretty close to how often they would win. If you simulate the season, it's not a guarantee. Nothing is a guarantee. Even in previous years where you see like Tampa Bay leading the division, you're like, they're the best team, but it's no guarantee. They actually win the whole thing. It's the same with Toronto over a shortened season, especially, but there's a pretty substantial gap. And I think the crap shoot is between two and six because I don't think there's very much separating Edmonton, Calgary. I think you put Montreal in that tier as well. And then Vancouver and Winnipeg, I think they're a step below and they're pretty equal as well, but they're not that far off from those three teams either. And they have elite shooting talent that can put them in that range as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like those, those uh, two to six teams, it's like, there's, if you make an argument for any of them to make a playoffs, especially in all Canadian division, but even just regularly, like you could see a way where any of them could get in a couple of them, maybe stretch a little more than others, but like, I know on your article it had like you had what Toronto, I think was top five. And then the other five teams were somewhere from like 10th to 20th, but like all within eight spots of each other. And that's exactly how it feels like the division will be. So When you're Ottawa, um, I think they'll be tough to play against. I know, like you mentioned, I don't think Gabranson is necessarily as tough as you know people make him out to be. But at the same time, like they do have some skill on the team, and last year they showed that they they work hard every night, um, which is something that you don't want to put too much stock into. But as a bad team, it's important because you watch teams like Detroit last year where by game 25, they, they knew they weren't going anywhere and they just got steamrolled most nights. But Ottawa was a team where it was like, it didn't matter if they were playing Tampa or Detroit, it was going to be usually a relatively close game. You'd have the odd game where they just get blown out. But I think Ottawa's only hope this year will be just try and play spoiler to a couple other teams, you know, like it, it's going to be a tough schedule, but if you can play teams hard, that's all you can hope for. I think right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. you, I think nail it there. I think there's always a chance and we can probably think about the way there would be a chance. So if we go through the roster, Matt Murray, if he is the Stanley cup winning goalie guy that he was, then I think that helps a lot. If Zaitsev can sort of bounce back to where he was, with the Leafs where he's replacement level and not one of the worst defense in the league, then that would be helpful. If Brandstrom has an amazing camp and proves he's the next coming and gives Ottawa a second legitimate top four defenseman, that's helpful. Um, And then they have all these young guys where maybe they're already top six talents. That would be ideal. Colin White, he was not great last year, but he was pretty good the year before. So if he bounces back, that's helpful. And if Tim Stutzel just crushes it right out of the gate... They can be there. (laughs) A lot of things have to go right. And that's the thing with the odds is you see a 1% chance. And that just means like, okay, 20 things have to go right. But those 20 things can go right. Like that can happen. It's just, it's just a lot to ask for. And I mean, that's sort of the best way to look at it is like nothing is impossible. This is just what has to happen.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot that has to happen or a mix of those with like two or three other teams, just getting like devastating injuries or something like that. You know, my hope was lost when you said Zaitsev has to become an actual NHL defenseman because uh, man, I, I don't think he's that. I, uh, I feel like I was losing my mind on Sense Twitter last year. So obviously the Zaitsev for CC swap happens and they play two very different ways. I said a couple of weeks ago that watching Zaitsev is like a, a death by a thousand paper cuts. He doesn't make any super obvious errors. He just screws up a lot of little stuff that adds to big things. Right. Whereas Cody CC is just, you just jump in front of a moving train because he just does something where you just, you're watching the screen and you go, what the hell just happened there? But like everyone last year, and maybe it's just because the team was losing, but they're like, Oh yeah, no, Zaitsev was like a, a legitimate improvement. I was like, I, I really don't think he was. Like, he was really bad last year. Um,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm from Toronto. I watched a lot of Zaitsev and his time, and he, he plays a quiet, safe game, and I think that was the worst thing you could have wanted with Belief's talent up front. And the contract he had is just so bad that getting Cody CC for just one year was a legitimate blessing. And CC was just as frustrating in completely different ways, but he ended up being fine for what he was. And I think most of these fans are glad he's gone, but I think you should be even happier that it's not Zaitsev for like four more years or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Especially because that cap space allowed them to go and pick up uh, TJ Brody this offseason as well, which, is a giant upgrade on either of those two guys. And that's the thing too, where it's like, like, yeah, I get you want rid of Cody Cece, but picking up a longer worse contract is not the way to do it. And I know you had him, I believe it was sixth in the worst contracts in the NHL. And honestly, I was surprised he was that low. (laughs) If I'm being completely like, I just, I don't know. I'm so low on Zaitsev. I just feel like we've seen so much data from him now where, as, as he gets older I just don't see how he gets better to the point where he was when he was 26 or whenever he came into the league like that was kind of his peak year and even that it was it was fine but it's not like he was like a top two defenseman or anything like that
1: I think ideally one of the issues is he's playing too high in the lineup and maybe he could be fine in a third pairing role but even that is probably a bit dicey
0: yeah, and I mean, at that point, you're paying your third pair guy $4.5 million. It's like, great. Like, that's what you just opted to pick up. But it's going to have to be because the other problem is, like, I think Thomas Shabbat, and I, I mean, I love him. I think he's already good enough that he can carry his Zaitsev. I just don't think he should have to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't think you should want him to do that.
0: Yeah, exactly. But then the other, the only other options is either play him on the third line or play him alongside Christian Willannon, who I really like as well. But he's a guy who he needs an actual NHL partner, you know, like you shouldn't be stapling him because he's not going to grow at all. And he's already 25. So, you know, he's getting to the point where it's like, you need to make sure he is an NHL or, and I think he is at some point or of some caliber, but like, you're not getting the best out of anyone when you staple Nikita Zaitsev to them for 90% of their minutes. Like, it's just not going to happen.
1: I mean, I think you should be careful what you wish for because we might see Shabbat and good Branson this year.
0: Yeah, uh, that might be just as painful too. I, I, but at least I can tell myself that Branson's like, going to be gone next year, theoretically. <laughs> like, but it's, it's just – it's kind of why – and, uh, man, since fans who are listening to this are getting mad at me, it's why I still cannot understand why they traded Dylan DeMello. I know he's not, like, amazing, but he would have been the perfect fit for Shabbat's partner for two or three years until one of their right-handed defensemen were ready to come and take the, the step up from that in three years. And they just – they traded him, and he's on a super cheap contract in Winnipeg for what he's worth, and they just said, no, we'll get Zaitsev, Gabranson, and Josh Brown to play the right side. That's pretty much as good.
1: It's, uh, it's quite bad. Is Sanderson <laughs> right-handed or left-handed?
0: Uh, I believe Sanderson's right-handed, I, I believe. So, like, he should be able to step up eventually, but I, I don't know. You just got to hope. Yeah. Like they have, and they have some pieces down there. Like Branchham can play the right side as well. Um, but you're not going to throw him into a top pair role. If you don't even think he's ready yet. Um, Lassie, uh, Lassie Thompson's right-handed. Um, uh, Bernard Docker, I believe is right-handed as well. So they have some names that are going to be ready soon, but it's like, it's going to be a slog this year to get to where you need to see some younger guys next year in two years. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, um, Other than that, the other thing I wanted to touch on was, um, was there any players that you or your model are higher on than maybe the rest of the league in terms of, it can be Ottawa, but it can also just be the whole NHL. Like, is there anyone you really love that maybe doesn't get enough attention, you feel like, from the general public?
1: So this is a good time to be asking this question because I don't know if you saw or follow the NBA, but Seth Partnow did his player tiers where he was sort of putting every player into different tiers based on like their value. And he would talk to various people like about where certain players fit. And I am also doing that for the NHL and that'll be coming out, I think early January I'm doing with Craig Custance. And the basic gist was that the NHL is very different from the NBA where we can't probably trust the total value stats nearly as much. I, obviously love my model. I use it a lot, but I'm not going to believe in everything it says. I'm not going to go with it 100% of the time. And so one of the exercises we did to start was me and Craig, we went through the model, we tiered it based on the model. And then we're like, okay, who are we moving based on what we know and what we watch? And then we sent it out to various like sources around the league and they would critique it in the same way. And it was interesting to get like that kind of feedback and see like what play, how players are valued. So one of the guys that I love and I know he's nowhere near as good as my model says he is. But I just want him to be is uh, Brian rust. He was so good last year next to Malkin. And one of the the biggest concerns was, can he do it again? Was he just lucky? How much was it actually him? And how much was it playing with an elite center? And those are all very fair questions, and I hope he does it again because, I mean, his name is Brian Rust. I had a – when he scored, like, his like two goals to, I think, clutch the series against Tampa, like, three or four years ago, I had a tweet saying who the F is Brian Rust that still gets retweeted, and I love that tweet so much. And I love Brian Rust so much. So he's he's definitely up there. The, the other one, I think people will know this based on how often I tweet about him, is uh, – Dougie Hamilton, who I think is probably a top five defenseman. And he's not five. And hockey people do not agree with that sentiment. And I, I'm sure you saw the poll I put out asking about Hamilton versus Seth Jones, and it was born completely out of this project because hockey people, they like Hamilton, but they don't love Hamilton as much as say my model does. And they love Seth Jones a lot more. And I don't want to spoil anything, but they, they definitely weren't happy with how low Seth Jones was and how high Dougie Hampton was. And me and Craig already preemptively knew that this would be a conversation. We already moved Dougie Hampton down. We already moved Seth Jones up and it still wasn't enough, which was funny.
0: Yeah, I think uh, just from, well, I mean, the poll, I, I looked, I was like, God, I already know. And this is coming from you who, like, has a bunch of statistical followers, too. So you think it would be maybe swayed and it was still, what, 50-50? It was when I looked, it was like 50-50 with a bunch of the votes of too close to tell or whatever as well, right? So... And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I want to see that. Um, but for Dougie Hamilton, I really think he's probably maybe the most underrated player in the entire NHL. As you said, top five, I think there's a really good case. He could have been top one, yeah. like in the, as a defenseman in the NHL. And it's a shame that his um, season this year got cut short because I really think he was on the path to his kind of breakout season, if you want to call it um, in terms of just a public opinion, like he was just killing it at the, in the first half of the year. And then, he broke his leg I believe right and and that kind of put an end to things for a little while and yeah I think he's probably one of the most um underrated if not the most underrated player in the entire NHL especially like it's it's rare it feels like when it's that high up because you know you can overrate underrate people but it's like oh yeah he's like the 10th best defenseman not the third best defenseman or whatever but like people legitimately don't have him on their top 20 or 30 defenseman list sometimes and it's like that feels like just a massive error like that. That just feels wrong.
1: Yeah. A lot of the hockey people I talked to, they definitely have in the top 20 at this point in time. I think they recognized how good he was last year. That uh, He finally had a coach that trusted him. He was on that Norris pace. And so I think the sentiment is turning, but I was talking to an analyst on a team and he had – a phenomenal quote about Hamilton saying that Hamilton is what's wrong with the eye test because he, there's just so many things he does that look wrong, look goofy. He makes some big mistakes, but the end results are so hard to deny.
0: Yeah. Like just any team he's been on when he's on the ice, that team has been better. And like we have a history of multiple teams where that's the case now, right? Like Boston, Calgary, and Carolina, like, all three, when he's on the ice, the team gets better. And I don't know, like some people just look at that as like, oh, it's a character issue. He's been on so many different teams. But it's like, I I don't like the results every time say he's amazing. So it's like, and honestly, like he's one of the few people in the NHL I feel pretty good about talking about their character just from the little bits that you get to hear. Like, obviously we don't know everything, but from what you hear of stories of other people versus him, where it's like his teammates didn't like him because he went to a museum or whatever. It's like, well is that the worst thing in the world? Like, you know, it's better than just going, getting blackout drunk at a bar, I guess, before a game night, but it's, I don't know. One, of the, I definitely love Hamilton. The Seth Jones debate is interesting too, because it feels like the opposite way of that, where it's like the eye test, he just kind of, it looks like he does everything right, but it's not like he gets shelled all the time when he's on the ice. It's just, he plays a lot of minutes and sometimes that feels like it inflates his value, um, to me anyways, among public perception.
1: Yeah, I, I think Jones is a lot better than a lot of models will indicate right now. I think there are things that we don't know as well. And this was something a lot of the analysts mentioned as well, is like Jones is good. And Hamilton, because he makes all those big mistakes that won't be as accounted for, like it is probably fair to say models are probably too high on him as well. But the difference is so stark that it's hard for Jones to get there above Hamilton for me. But I think it's a lot closer than people on either side are willing to admit, which is, I think, the fun part. I think the the big question for me that I think a lot of people should like consider is if you switch teams, and Hamilton was playing Jones' role, is he still as dominant offensively playing with the the forwards he has in Columbus? If Jones is on Carolina, is that top pair with Jacob Slavin putting up a 60% expected goals rate? And I'm not as sure about Hamilton on Columbus, but the thing with Jones is he might be able to put up numbers like that, but we already know Hamilton can because he's done it.
0: Yeah, it's like the the mystery box versus the boat from Family Guy. It's like while he could be anything, it could even be Dougie Hamilton's results. It's like yeah, but you already have Dougie Hamilton's results, and I definitely agree where I think it's closer. I mean, I'm probably just too low on Seth Jones as it is, but I mean, even just like man, like I don't. I watched every game of that Toronto series they played, and he yeah, he played a ton of minutes, but he didn't necessarily look great doing it. There was a couple times in the first two games he looked really good, but there was also I think it was game game three, maybe he, he played like just a ton of minutes, but he got just absolutely shelled while doing it. And people were like, look at how great he looks. It's like, well, yeah, he's on the ice a lot, but he's also just bleeding chances and shots and his goaltending's bailing him out. And that's obviously just a one game sample. I'm not saying that's what it's like all the time, but it's just one of those things where it's like, if you look good, I think from the eye test, especially it's like, it can forgive a lot of mistakes that you made, especially if they're subtle mistakes, right? Because you tend to remember the big things that happen. So if you make five small mistakes, thinking back on a week later, you might not remember it. But if you shoot a cannon out front of your net and it gets intercepted and goes back in scores the other way, like yeah, obviously people are gonna remember that for a while. And some of that's fair, but at the same time, it's just internal bias as well, I think that you have to try and factor out.
1: Yeah, my my favorite thing along those lines is the famous sixty minute game and how everyone was talking about Seth Jones when Victor Hedman was on the other side of the ice playing significantly better. And every time those two were on the ice, Hedman was on offense leading the charge and Jones was in his own zone. And I guess they loved his defending cause they saw a lot of it. But I think from in that game, Hedman was just so much better.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like, you get to see it more. So it sticks out, but like, the better defense is not having to play defense because you have the puck on your stick in the offensive zone for 90% of the time or whatever. I, I definitely feel that. And I think that goes to a team's perspective as well, where it's like, it reminds me a lot of that Vancouver uh, Vegas series too, where everyone's praising Vancouver for getting a game seven and forcing it. But it's like, I mean, did we watch the series? Like they got their absolute like teeth kicked in for like, Four games like that, that should have been a five game series, but their goaltending just stood on their head and it was like, Oh, yeah, no, they're a great young team, they'll be right back here next year. It's like, Well, we can't really assume that just because we watched them get their teeth kicked in for six games, but goaltending bailed them out for three. And it just, it's one of those things where I think it's kind of similar for a player to a team where it's like you just see something that you didn't expect and be like, Yeah, that must have been good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Um, other than that, I don't really have anything to say. The only other thing I wrote down was I you do um, yearly GM rankings from um, fan and league perspective, and those are always very interesting to see. And the one thing I was uh, very curious to see actually this year was the Ottawa front office uh, rankings. Last year they were I believe last or second last. They were very near the bottom. Um, this year they shot up all the way to twenty first, and um, the fan perception is quite a bit higher than the the uh, public's perception on them, but I was, I was curious if you were um, surprised by those results at all or if anything jumped out from you to you from those results.
1: I wasn't that surprised that they were higher. I don't agree that they're higher. I still am not super confident in the turnaround, but the fact that they had a lot of picks and the draft and it doesn't seem as much of a shit show as it used to, I think plays a role. It's sort of like a Stockholm syndrome thing where – if it's like super awful for so long, the minute it gets slightly less awful, they are like, wow, this is, this is nice. And I think that's sort of the sentiment in Ottawa where this has been a very penny-pinching team and this was an off-season where they spent a lot of money. Did they spend it well? I don't think so, but we don't really know that yet because we haven't seen it on the ice. It's just a prediction that it won't be money well spent, but I think fans are fair to be optimistic and it'll be interesting to see how all those changes affect the team next year and where the front office stands in next year's uh ranking
0: yeah i and i think that's fair it's also just like it felt like melnick didn't open his mouth near as much this year as in years past like it felt like every three weeks he'd be going on the toronto sports radio and just saying something so stupid it's like Okay, hey, can you just not right now? But and, and that kind of stuff didn't happen this year. And, you know, the Uber video from a couple of years ago, like there wasn't any of that this year, which already I think makes fans feel better about the team. But, yeah, I always go back and forth with their front office because I never know how to feel about Dorian. He either – it feels like he crushes what he's doing or he just absolutely melts down and it's a disaster. And it doesn't feel like there's too much just boring in between where it's like, okay, that works. Like he's either – crushing um, uh, Matt Duchesne and Ryan Dezingle trade where they get Anthony Duclair and two seconds back for Ryan Dezingle, or he's going and trading Mark Stone for Eric Branstrom in a second round, or second round pick. It's like, there's no in between those two. It's like, how does, how are you doing this? And I feel like I have also probably gotten a little higher on Dorian as a GM anyways, just with what he's had to work with. But I don't know. I, I think he's probably in the 25th ish range of GMs where it's like, he does some good, some bad, but like, he's definitely not the worst. I don't think, but I, I, it was, I, I wasn't shocked to see them go up, but I was a little surprised to see them at 21st. But when you think about the the draft and everything, it makes enough sense, I guess. Right. Like they had a ton to work with. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, Other than that, I didn't really have anything else to talk about. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work?
1: Uh, well, you can find me at the athletic, you can Google Dom L and I should be like one of the first Dom L's probably. I don't think you need to spell my full name, but I think coming up, I'll have season previews and Ottawa should be one of the first ones on the (laughs) so it'll be fun and we can chat in the comments about whether I'm wrong or whether you think that Ottawa will be just as bad this year
0: um thank you so much for joining me uh, i'll tweet out a link to your twitter as well so no one else has to try and figure out how to spell your name although if they want to say it i would love to hear their best shots at it because I, I still don't quite have it um thank you so much for joining me today dom i hope you have a great day
1: yeah no problem take care
0: as mentioned before thank you so much to dom for joining me uh, i had a great time recording with them i hope you guys enjoyed it as well um Hopefully as the weeks get going here, there should be some more content to talk about. I know uh, the college season's starting. I don't watch too much college hockey, but that should lead to some interesting prospect updates as well. Um, But yeah, as mentioned in the beginning of the episode, if there's anyone you want to hear, give me a shout. um, And just thank you for listening. Hopefully, as the season picks up here, uh, we keep uh, having more and more to talk about. As I'm recording late Friday night, this outro, uh, it looks like there's a plan in place maybe to play 56 games starting in mid-January or something, uh, which would be really exciting. I know I talked about uh, this is obviously a sense-based podcast, and there's lots of ways I want to go with this uh, in the future. And one of those ways is also bringing on um, beat writers and analysts for other teams as well, and and discussing you know how how their teams fit in with Ottawa, and ideally when they when they start to play games, you know you can look at their schedule and and talk to other people about what the games might be like, or you know what you took away from a game the past week, but. Um, yeah, I'll stop rambling on now. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening and for the support. You can find this podcast anywhere you listen to the podcast. Find us on Twitter at LastWordOnSends. Find me on Twitter at NHLSends and stuff, and I'll talk to you all next week.